Chapter 33 of Paul, a Herald of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Russell Newton. Paul, a Herald of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter 33 The Tent Maker. The tent makers sat at their work in the open courtyard. There were three of them, a woman and two men. They had been at work since early dawn, but now the woman arose from her place and straightened her tall, vigorous form. Come, she said briskly, let us rest for an hour. Our brother here is weary, if one may judge by his face. Two more seams to stitch, and we shall be through with this piece of work. She pushed aside the coarse fabric of goat's hair as she spoke, thrust the great needle into a fold of her garment, and unwound the protecting bandages of linen from the palms of her hands. One of the men speedily followed her example giving vent to a long sigh of relief as he stretched his cramped limbs. "'A mouthful of bread and cheese, my Priscilla,' he began, and—but the woman had already disappeared. "'She knows what I would say,' he remarked with an air of content, his kind eyes resting upon his companion. "'I tell thee, Brother Paul, a good wife is assuredly from the Lord. "'Tis a pity that thou—he stopped short, and glanced apprehensively in the direction of the house, whence issued a lively clatter of utensils.' She told me not to speak of this, he said cautiously, but one cannot help his thoughts. What sayest thou, good brother? The man whom he addressed pulled his clumsy needle once and again through the stiff, unyielding cloth before he replied, It would ill become me to ask any woman to share the rigors of my lot, even were such a thing expedient for me. But thou art right to think with all affection of thy wife as a gift from God. Howbeit, fail not to think oftener of the giver than of the gift, since the day of the Lord is at hand. "'Wilt thou continue to speak as heretofore in the synagogue on the Sabbath days?' said the other after a thoughtful pause. "'Assuredly,' said the tent-maker, looking up quickly. "'And why dost thou ask, friend Aquila?' "'There be murmurings among certain of the Jews,' said Aquila hesitatingly. "'Nothing to speak of, perhaps, and yet—' Paul sighed wearily. "'Necessity is laid upon me,' he murmured. "'Yea, woe is unto me if I proclaim not the glad tidings.' "'Tis because of what thou didst say concerning the law,' went on Aquila more boldly. "'Thou mayst perchance make the matter right the next Sabbath day.' At this moment the woman Priscilla came out from the little scullery. "'What? Working yet?' she cried. "'Nay, good brother, thou should do no work at all with thy hands if I had my say. There be many of us already who believe, and upon us should fall the burden of thy bodily maintenance. Who hast also given to us of the bread of heaven, and that freely?' The sensitive face of the tent-maker reddened. "'Thou hast spoken a sound word, my sister,' he said quietly. "'The Lord also appointed that they which preach the glad tidings should live thereby. Yet do I the rather labor with my hands than I may be free from the reproach of men. Free, yet a servant unto all, that haply I may save some.' "'The Lord reward thee,' said the woman, her clear brown eyes filling with sudden tears. "'Ay, and he will reward thee. But come,' she said briskly, let us eat, since we must labor again. He that laboreth is assuredly worthy of his meat. Six days out of seven for more than a month, the tent-makers had toiled at their needles from dawn until evening. Work is not lacking in Corinth, thanks be to Jehovah, said the good Aquila, and the stranger from Tarsus bowed his head in assent. On Sabbath days all three passed through the busy streets of the great wicked city to the synagogue, where the tent-maker Paul became an impassioned proclaimer of wondrous sayings. On the first of these occasions, people contented themselves by simply staring curiously. Later, 
Certain ones began the study of the prophecies. Some were even convinced of the truth of the strange story of a crucified Messiah. Others shook their head doubtfully. It was noticed with alarm by the wiseacres that an unusual number of Gentiles began to show their faces in the synagogue. None of these offered themselves as proselytes. They had come, they said, to hear the Jew Paulus tell of the strange God who could bring dead men to life again. Things were at this pass when one Ben Israel, a merchant of Athens, came to Corinth on business. He was known to be a reputable man, possessed, moreover, of much substance, and therefore not unreasonably a man of weight. Paul, said Ben Israel, raising his eyebrows, so the fellow hath come hither also. What dost thou know of the man? asked one of the chief men of the synagogue, by name Sosthenes. Nothing good, son of Abraham, replied the merchants. In Athens he unfortunately gained no foothold among the chosen, nor indeed among the Gentiles. Athenians are not easily befooled. The speaker paused and drew his beard through his fingers with a well-satisfied air. His object, do you ask? It seems not over-difficult to discover. Look you, the man is penniless, a fugitive, with a ready tongue and an impudent air. His so-called converts are what? Chiefly filthy Gentiles, with whom also he eats and sleeps, though he professes to be a Jew. In Philippi, I am told, after stirring up a tumult among the malcontents, proselytes, and slaves, this fellow Paulus and another of the same sort who traveled with him were seized by authorities and soundly scourged. At Thessalonica, I have this information from kin of mine who dwell there, they fared little better, being forced to fly the city by night. So it was also at Berea. The next day it was found by the now thoroughly aroused Jews that two coadjutors of the man Paul had arrived, both of whom set busily to work to spread the new and pernicious doctrine of a crucified and risen Messiah. A stormy scene followed in the synagogue. The tent-maker, as he was scornfully designated by the rich Jews, seemingly inspired to fresh zeal by the arrival of his companions, delivered a powerful discourse. The Orthodox Jews replied to it on the spot, bringing all the thunders of the law to bear upon the bold apostate. The listeners were aroused to a frenzy of excitement, many weeping aloud and rending their garments, while others shouted, Alleluia! Get thee hence, blasphemous liar, cried Sosthenes. Thou hast defiled the house of Jehovah. Thou hast spoken abominable words in the habitation of the Most High. The eyes of the tent-maker flashed with living fire. Your blood be upon your own heads, he said, shaking his raiment with a gesture of appalling significance. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. The despised tent-maker went out indeed from that synagogue to enter it no more, but there followed him no less a person than its chief ruler, Crispus by name, who was straightway baptized with all his household, and with him many others, chiefly Gentiles. In the house of the proselyte Justice, who lived next door to the synagogue, these believers in a crucified carpenter met day by day, and the tent-maker taught them. They ate together, making no secret of it, meats, clean and unclean, purchased in heathen markets. "'Abomination of desolation!' wailed the Orthodox Jews. "'So doth the wicked flourish like the green bay, but he shall be cut down,' they added, grinding their teeth. The tent-maker was human. He was moreover feeble in body and worn with labor and suffering. His bent form staggered sometimes beneath the load of care and responsibility which seemed bound upon him. He slept little and prayed much. There were the other little companies of believers in distant cities, exposed to hatred and persecution, with no regular teachers and no records of the blessed life. These lay heavily upon his heart. He must write to them. 
After the long day of exhausting toil, he pours out his heart to them, Timothy the Beloved, writing down the words as they fall from his lips. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace. I give continual thanks to God for you all, and make mention of you all in my prayers without ceasing, remembering in the presence of our God and Father the working of your faith, the labors of your love, and the steadfastness of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, beloved by God, I know how God hath chosen you. For my glad tidings came to you, not only in word, but also in power, with the might of the Holy Spirit and with the full assurance of belief. Others are telling you what welcome you gave me, how you forsook your idols and turned to serve God the living and true, and to wait for his Son from the heavens whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ our Deliverer from the coming wrath. For you know yourselves, brethren, that my coming amongst you was not fruitless, but after I had borne suffering and outrage, as you know, at Philippi, I trusted in my God, and boldly declared to you God's glad tidings in the midst of great contention. For my exhortations are not prompted by imposture, nor by uncleanness, nor do I speak deceitfully. But as God hath proved my fitness for the charge of glad tidings, so I speak, not seeking to please men, but God who proves our hearts. For never did I use flattering words, as you know, nor hide covetousness under fair pretenses. God is witness. Remember, brethren, my toilsome labors, how I worked both night and day, that I might not be burdensome to any of you, while I proclaimed to you the message which I bore, the glad tidings of God. You know how earnestly, as a father his own children, I exhorted and entreated and adjured each one among you to walk worthy of God, by whom you are called into his own kingdom and glory. For you, brethren, followed in the steps of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, inasmuch as you suffered the like persecution from your own countrymen, which they endured from the Jews, who also killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and who have driven me forth from city to city, a people displeasing to God and enemies to all mankind, who would hinder me from speaking to the Gentiles for their salvation, continuing always to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath of God has overtaken them, but I, brethren, having been torn from you for a short season in presence, not in heart, sought very earnestly to behold you again face to face. But Satan hindered me. For what is my hope or joy? What is the crown wherein I glory? What but your own selves, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his appearing? Yes, you are my glory and my joy. Therefore, when I was no longer able to forbear, I determined willingly to be left at Athens alone. And I sent Timotheus, my brother, and God's fellow worker in the glad tidings of Christ, that he might strengthen your constancy, and exhort you concerning your faith, that none of you should waver in these afflictions. Fearing lest perchance the tempter had tempted you, and lest my labor should be in vain. But now that Timotheus hath returned from you to me, and hath brought me glad tidings of your faith and love, and that you still keep an affectionate remembrance of me, longing to see me as I to see you, I have been comforted, brethren, on your behalf, and all my own tribulation and distress has been lightened by your faith. And so to the end, with words of tenderest love, warning, exhortation, pleading, encouragement, comforting them also with the comfort wherewith he had himself been comforted. Be not afraid, the Lord had said to him in the night by a vision, but speak and hold not thy peace. Lo, I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. 
For more than a year he labored, gathering the elect of heaven from out of the cesspools of iniquity, from out the dust heaps of ignorance and superstition, from among slaves, from amongst lost women, from among degraded idolaters of every class. For ye see your calling, brethren, he writes to them afterward from Ephesus, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. To Sosthenes also there came visions of a speedy triumph over the hated tent-maker. A new proconsul, one Gallio, was about to be installed over Achaia. He was the brother of the philosopher Seneca, reputed moreover to be a man of mild and easy disposition. The Roman will desire to stand well with us, since we represent no small share of the wealth of the province, argued Sosthenes. We will therefore lose no time in laying this matter before him. Accordingly, on the very day in which the new proconsul began his official duties, the Jews arose in a body, seized the tent-maker as he sat at his work, and dragged him before the judgment-seat of Gallio, which was set, as was the custom, on a square of tessellated pavement before the palace. "'Behold, O most excellent and righteous proconsul!' cried Sosthenes. "'We have brought before thee this fellow that thou mayest pass judgment upon him. He teacheth men to worship God contrary to the law.' Gallio surveyed the turbulent crowd with haughty disdain. Like other noble Romans, his feeling for all Jews was one of unmixed hatred and contempt. Pressing hard after the noisy complainants, he noticed a number of Greeks and other foreigners whose faces and gestures expressed the strongest excitement and indignation. As for the accused, he was merely a shabby, insignificant old man, a Jew also. It was evident that he would utter some sort of a defense if allowed to do so. The proconsul frowned impatiently. "'If this were a matter of civil wrong or moral outrage,' he said with cold decisiveness, "'it would be reasonable that I should listen to your accusation. But if it be merely a question of words and names, and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. Lictors, clear the court!' The accused at once withdrew with certain of his friends, who had awaited the decision with manifest trepidation. The lookers-on cheered them as they went away. Then they turned their attention to Sosthenes and his fellows, who were elbowing their way through the crowd, muttering maledictions upon the head of the proconsul. "'Ha! Jews!' yelled a Greek, who wore a red cap very much at one side, and carried a kithera slung over his shoulders. "'Jews! Liars! Thieves! Unclean dogs! Go home and eat swine's flesh! Go!' Sosthenes paused and fixed his eyes, burning with hate, upon the bold Greek. He lifted one shaking hand high above his head. "'May the curses of the living Jehovah!' But the mob, with a deafening howl, rushed upon him. "'Wilt thou also call down curses upon us?' they cried in a fury. "'Nay, let thy God deliver thee, if he will.' And they beat him with their staves in full sight of the judgment seat. Gallio observed the proceedings with a shrug. He did not order his lictors to interfere. The Jews of Corinth will beware how they trouble me in the future with their petty disputes, he said languidly to one of the officers of the guard who stood before his chair. There be those who affirm that Sosthenes afterward went to Ephesus, that he might avenge himself for that beating upon the tent-maker, and that there God opened his eyes to the truth. Certain it is that the first letter to the Corinthians begins thus. 
Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them which are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace be unto you in peace, from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. End of chapter 33